Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Mandy Smith, originally from Australia. She's lead pastor of University Christian Church, a campus and neighborhood congregation with its own fair trade cafe in Cincinnati, Ohio. She's also the author of several books, most recently The Vulnerable Pastor, and she's a friend. I give you Mandy Smith. Mandy, welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to be with you again. It's always a pleasure to have you, and you are in Ohio. I'm in Pennsylvania, and it's like, but yeah, it's like we're in the same room almost. It is. The wonders of modern technology. Mm -hmm. It's good to be with you. Our first text, Jeremiah 29 here, it gives us the lecture, it goes to verse one and then goes to verses four through seven, but we have the Lord sending this word to the elders among the exiles, and he says that to build houses Mm. and live in them, plant gardens, uh, take wives and have sons and daughters, and give your daughters in marriage, and seek the welfare of the city I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So this is probably not the easiest word to hear for people that are in exile Mm. to this global sort of superpower mm-hmm. and it's 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 you know jeremiah has told them already that this exile is part of what god's doing in the story of of the people's lives and yet and then also that they have to sort of seek the shalom of babylon i mean this just seems like hard stuff to yeah hear. it's strange and i was reminded of the part of the story where before they even go into exile jeremiah is told to buy a plot of land and seal it up as almost like a promise that they will return. And so I wondered how Jeremiah thought of that, like, what does this mean to be here for now? Like, I love that God is able to be so present. And just because he said we'll come back doesn't mean that we shouldn't be present in this place and in this time as well. Um, This passage has actually been really a, a challenge and an encouragement to me because we never planned to live in America for 30 years. We came for six years to study, and then so many things that we planned to do elsewhere never panned out. And so over many, many years, I've been living in suspended life and always kind of living out of, you know, like our furniture is all like college student furniture still, you know, <laughs> um, even when we were in our 30s and 40s because we were all like, well, when, and even to the point that when I had um, children, I was always saying, when we go to Australia, when we go to Australia, which is no way to grow up to think that this life that we're in now is is just temporary to the point I feel bad about this now, but my daughter's 21 now, but when she was little, I was saying that so much to her that she was a big journaler. And every time she got a new journal, she would turn to the back page first thing and write, Zoe of the future, are you in Australia yet? <laughs> Which is so kind of funny and sad at the same time because that was um, a metaphor of how I was living as well. And so this passage was a really great challenge and reminder that even if God does have something in the future for you, that's not to say God can never change things, but but also 
our life is just where we are right now. And what does it look like to be present in that and to live it faithfully, even if it's not what we would have chosen? Yeah. And I think like it's probably right. There's probably two temptations for the Israelites in exile. One would be just, hey, look, Babylon won. Their God's real or more power. Our God's forgotten us. And so let's just be Babylonians, mm-hmm. you know, like this is the future. Go with Babylon. And then there's other people seemingly they're kind of, they, they want to sit outside the culture, throw rocks at it and say, Hey, you might, we, you know, you might have taken us out of Israel, but we're, you know, we're, we're still going to be militant. And, and Jeremiah is saying no to both those options. Yeah. He's saying like to remember the Lord. And yet also the Lord's called you to be, uh, to be there and present, mm-hmm. you know, with them. And, and to, and this whole idea. In Babylon, Shalom, and their welfare, their mm-hmm. redemption is your redemption. Like your story is tied up with theirs, which is, yeah. is, 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 is beautiful and hard. I wonder how they heard that as people who had been told they were a special people to now be told by that same God that, that their welfare was interwoven with the welfare of these pagan peoples. And I think, I mean, we all wrestle with this living cross-culturally as Christians too, no matter even if we're living in our first culture, to be living in what can feel like Babylon too, that we want to just um, totally um, immerse or totally disengage. And this is the harder thing to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, which we don't always agree with or feel comfortable in, but to trust that it's flourishing is is also our flourishing. Yeah, I, I knew there was a... a- pretty terrible shooting a couple like a month or so ago or in Philadelphia where this guy was like in North Philly who was like he was in a barricaded up in a row home and it was all over the national news mm. in, in, in North Philly and in that not a neighborhood a place not far from that neighborhood I remember this biblical studies professor I know was telling this story he lives you know they, he's part of a church plant that was planted in that neighborhood years ago and, and, you know, they've really tried to seek the shalom of that part of Philadelphia, which is a rough part of the city. He said one day, you know, he's, he and his wife are working in this urban garden. They've, this community has started and he's looking all around at the crack dealers on the corner and just the urban blight. And he just looks at his wife and he said, and he says, what the hell are we doing? Mm. And she says, we're, we're gardening. Mm. And he said, yeah, we're gardening in hell. And he said, his wife just looked up at him with it like, a faint smile. This is my father's world, and let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And I, wow. And I think about that, like this idea is this. It's so counterintuitive, but like Jeremiah said, you know, he's got the whole world in his hands. Babylon, which seems, you know, the furthest things from God's purposes. He, he's, you know, he's got Babylon in his hands, mm. and you, Israel, in his hands there. And that, that's beautiful. Hard to hear, but. Yeah, and what about the possibility that the things he calls us to do are almost shamefully small and feel like planting a garden when there's a war zone going on around us? And so, yeah, what? how strange and humbling for us to think that the way God wants us to invest in the prosperity or the flourishing is just through planting gardens and marrying and having families and increasing in number and seeking peace and that feels so, um, in comparison to the evil of the world or the power of Babylon, none of that feels significant, but that seems to be God's way. And I guess the, the kingdom way of yeast in the dough. And this, there's this story about Luther, and it might be apocryphal. I don't know if it's true, but like I've heard it multiple times. They, 
They said, what would you do if you knew Christ was going to come back tomorrow? Mm. And Luther said, I'd plant a tree. Luther said that? <laughs> yeah, well, this idea that, wow, that Christ will redeem everything. And so I'd plant a tree. I think that's beautiful. It's very kind of Jeremiah. What do you think he means by that? I think he just means that, hey, Christ is going to, you know, redeem not just our souls, but the world as well. And so this tree will be part of, you know, the goodness that he redeemed. So trusting that there will be time for the tree to grow? Or, or yeah, or part of like just, you know, this, that that we should be, like you're saying, that we that we live this, the way to be heavenly minded is to be earthly rooted in, oh, in, 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 in an interesting. Nice. What yeah. would you do, Scott, if Jesus was coming, if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow? Oh, that's a great question. What would I do? Well, I could eat. You could just eat like whatever you want and drink whatever you wanted That's because true. you're nothing, nothing. You know, you know, you would, uh, you would, you would, you know. I would not need to worry about the week. Yeah, I'd that's be, true. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would celebrate. I think I would. Yeah, well, that's what karaoke. I thought too. Like, I'm planning a picnic. Yeah, karaoke. You, yeah, and we can eat whatever we like at that picnic. Thank Did you just say that. karaoke? A karaoke? Oh yeah, ca- I would karaoke. Yeah, karaoke. Have you ever done the outside to karaoke? I have. That's great. Have. It's awesome. <laughs> Our next text, Mandy, is 2 Timothy 2, <laughs> 8 through 15. All right, let me get to that one. Where okay. Paul is telling Timothy, his protege, his mentee, to remember Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, this descendant of David. That's his gospel. Christ, um, you know, risen from the dead, even though he's chained. The word of God is not chained, and he endures everything for the sake of those chosen. And then it's, you know, then he has this, this interesting saying, you know, that if we've died, with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, mm. for he cannot deny himself. There's really an interesting um, passage here uh, as Paul is sort of writing to from prison to this to his young you know disciple and protege. Mm. Yeah, that's a nice little twist right there when he says, "If we disown him, he'll disown us. But if we are faithless, he is faithful." Yeah, because because you. You want like with the parallelisms. You wanted to say like if we are if, if, like if we are faithless. It seems like it, it, he is faithful. It's interesting because it doesn't. It doesn't. The other ones are sort of corresponding yeah, in different ways. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting kind of. It it stands out there mm. that one. His grace defies the rhythm. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I love that idea too that Paul is chained and yet the word of God isn't. That Paul has this like. Mm. sense that his own present conditions are not the barometer of what God's doing in the world or even in his own life or in the, in his legacy with Timothy. These are that you can't read what God's doing just off your own circumstances in the moment. Yeah. And I, I love the illustrations he gives earlier in the same chapter of three situations where people kind of are chained to a particular commitment in life, the good soldier, the athlete and the hardworking farmer that they're, I'm sure all three of those lives feel like you're chained to them in some way. Once you've decided this is what I'm committing my life to, I'm sure it feels like a chain. And when you're waking up early um, to train when everyone else in the house is sleeping in or working up early to milk the cows when everyone around the world is, you know, not having to do that or whatever those lifestyles require of you. But then he also says each one of those has a, a reward. The 
the soldier pleases his commanding officer, the the athlete receives a victor's crown, the hardworking farmer receives a share of the crops. And I I love that image, which I think we wrestle with in a culture that's just like, if it's hard, just stop doing it. <laughs> Don't commit long term to anything because you might be disappointed or um, to think that while it might feel like chains to commit ourselves to this way of life that feels sometimes like a way of death, to also trust there is something that is being released even in the chaining. There is some, and actually I think he says here that he's doing it for their sakes, that they may obtain the salvation. His reward is is their reward. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think it's so interesting too to look at like, Whenever we try to say like, well, this the gospel is this, the gospel is that. It's interesting because like it's described so often in the New Testament. You know, this is the the gospel. This is my God. and and it's described in many kinds of words. And here, where Paul says, "Remember Christ raised from the dead, descendant of David." That is my gospel. Mm. That's interesting that this one descended from David, who yet was when he came to David's city was crucified and yet was raised, mm. and that's his gospel. Like that's what's getting him through. Like this idea that that you know when Jesus. He ruled from the cross and 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 was raised and and that this is sort of this is the good news that's getting him through, yeah. uh, probably being in 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 really tar- hard uh, prison circumstances. Yeah, it reminded me of the place, and I meant to look it up where it says, "For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame." Where's that from? Oh, and is it? Uh, I don't know. We can look it up in Hebrews somewhere like that. Um, yeah, because yeah, I'm often it's just the- really, I, it's good to be reminded that there was a joy that drove Jesus forward, that it's so easy for us to focus on the suffering of Jesus and of ourselves, of what we're giving up for this thing. And yet to remember every time somebody laughed at him or rejected him or a friend didn't understand, or, you know, many, many kinds of death that Jesus had to die before he ever got to the cross. He could have at any of those times just said, oh, I give up, it's not worth it, <laughs> you know. And But there was some joy that drove him forward that he could not, that was better than anything else, that was, that was more worthwhile than all of the things that he had to endure. And I guess it's like the image he gives of the kingdom being like the thing that someone will sell everything to buy the field to have the little treasure, you know. So I see that in Paul's words here as well. Yeah, it's so interesting. I had this conversation with this guy, David Shields, who's a, he's an irreligious guy. I mean, he's a, you know, secular guy, was raised sort of secular Jew, filmmaker, writer. I mean, I, I really have a fondness for this guy. And we were talking about G.K. Chesterton a little bit. and And he was remarking he's like this christianity that chesterton has and that you have scott it seems very life-giving mm. and I, I i i tweeted something out that day i was so th- i said you know that something like the occupational hazard of being a minister is sometimes you can just forget the sh- the utter joy of what and privilege of what it is just to be a christian mm, and, i saw and, that and, and it, it blessed my heart yeah and i thought you know it, it, it and, and and right that joy is is the joy set before christ that mm-hmm. we could be part of the story. And it's such a privilege. It's like the best game in town um, to be able to, and it's, and he said, you know, it seems like to really open up the world for you. And I said, yeah, being a Christian has opened up, not closed the world to Mm -hmm. me. It's made me see more beauty in the world and, 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 and more to love and be long suffering over and celebrate. It hasn't, you know, it doesn't, um, yeah. That's good news. It's a beautiful thing. 
Yeah, it is. Keep telling. Keep preaching our, that. This is our good news. Yeah. Speaking of the gospel, let's go to Luke, Luke seventeen eleven through 19. Here we go. Jesus on the way to Jerusalem was going between Samaria and Galilee. And then he's got these, he enters this village. It's interesting, not named. Ten lepers approach him, keeping their distance. And they say, Master, have mercy on us. And he tells them to go and show yourselves to the priest. And they go and they're made clean. And then only one comes back, uh, who's a Samaritan and, and prostrates himself before Jesus. And Jesus kind of notes, wow, this is, you know, this is the only one, this foreigner, this one who's, who's, who's not part of the, uh, Orthodox God squad. Uh, <laughs> he comes back and, and he's the example of, of faith and gratitude. Yeah. I'm fascinated. I love the image of like, they stood at a distance and called out. So they're like so used to people not coming near them that they're asking for his pity, even just from his calling across the village to him, you know? But I was wondering, I looked up the Leviticus passage about um, cleanliness and going to show yourself to the priest and stuff, and it, it it's describing a reality where when you have leprosy, you ha- the priest decides basically who's clean and who's not clean and if it really is leprosy or not. And so there's a description of him first deciding that you are unclean because it is leprosy, and then also the process of how the priest would say, no, you're not, you're not unclean anymore. And so I guess the priest is the one who decides if they're the kind of social pariah or not. Yeah, um, yeah. So at first, I think I've always understood this to mean like the guys might have understood it as Jesus is like, I'm not going to heal you. Go talk to the priest. They can sort you out. Not that that's what Jesus meant, but – what how, like I'm trying to figure out how did they understand this, and why would they go if if you know I wouldn't <laughs> if I was asking for something from someone and he said go talk to someone else, um, and but I guess there's an act of faith in their going even before they know. I love that image of of Jesus saying if you go, I guess it's similar to the story from Jeremiah of if you buy a plot of land before I send you into exile. It's a way of promising that there's a different possibility that you can't see yet. Will you act as if it's really true now before you have it or see it? I see that here that he's, you know, maybe it's an invitation for them to live as if they are going to be told by the priests that they're clean now before they actually are. Um, Then I wondered if that's actually exciting to them because now they get social acceptance again. And if maybe he was so blessed by the one who turned back because even if he was already healed, he hadn't yet been welcomed back into society as officially clean by the priest. But he was interested in relationship or engagement with Jesus or gratitude or something with Jesus, not just, I may be overthinking it, but I was trying to think about that showing yourself to the priest thing that no, I think you're honest something. I think it's interesting because he's a Samaritan, and they would have the they would have a different temple. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, they had a different. So I'm I'm wondering if like because he's a a foreigner, you know, like you know half Jewish kind of, not all mm-hmm. Jewish. You know, they, they you know like not a full Jew like these other ones. They would look at him in that way. My guess is, it's like, well, okay, should I show myself to their priest or to our priest? Yeah. And then what he does is interesting. He comes back to Jesus, yeah. right? Like, oh, that's it, nice. The real—it's t- funny because 
because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And some of the sc- commentators, scholars note, like Luke's weird on his geography here because you wouldn't necessarily go this. This isn't the necessary road. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, but it, he, he's, he wants the story in there where, you know, Jerusalem is the ultimate place. It's the place of the temple. It's the ultimate place where clean and unclean are separated. Yeah. And it's the place Jesus will be cast out of. He'll be treated like a mm. leper, right? He'll be. But it's interesting because, you know, Benedict the Sixteenth in his book on books on Jesus, he talks about how in every other instance in scripture, w- that when something clean touches something unclean, the unclean makes the clean unclean. Mm. Like the powers, are, except with Jesus. Mm, that's the opposite. Who, the, who does the opposite. So it's like the unworking, it's like working backwards. And so he's, he's, he is the real priest. He is the real yeah. temple. He is the, he, so, and, and it's, there's this argument, you know, I think of when he's talking to the woman at the well and well, where do we, you know, the Samaritan, and she's um, a Samaritan too, right? Like, uh, I think, and she says, I you know, we, where do you, too. yeah, where do we worship? Right. Well, where do we worship on Samaritan, which mountain? He's like, neither, you know, yeah. it, it, it will worship God in spirit and truth. And so he's the revelation of Spirit and right, truth. and because they're not wrapped up in the institutional religion, they are more somehow more receptive to him. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's an, it's a beautiful picture of this one who's the outsider that can see more clearly than the insiders who's the real priest, who's the real yeah. temple. It's a beautiful picture. As you were describing this um, healing and how Jesus made unclean things clean, I was just imagining like. Is it just that he like pushes a button or is it just that he's so filled with this other reality that it just, anything that comes into contact with him is transformed by it? And I don't know, I think I'm old enough now to start to see this transition in me from like, I'm doing this because the Bible tells me to do it and I still feel like it's kind of small and insignificant and I still feel kind of foolish and I see the way the world sees me for it and... I'm a bit apologetic and um, the older, the more that you press into it, this is the kind of set for the joy set before us thing, I guess, like the more that you press into it, the more it truly becomes powerful. I can see there's a long way still for me to go in this, but it's, it's more and more real the more you press into it, but you kind of have to press into it for you to be healed from the way the world sees. That actually reminds me, I think it's in one of C.S. Lewis's um, space trilogy books where he says there's this creature that's kind of like a spiritual being and um, it says like it can pass through walls. We think of spirit beings that can pass through walls because they're so insubstantial and so they can, they're just like a cloud that can pass through anything. But what if they're really substantial? I guess he plays with this with his... um, uh, great divorce book too. Like, what if the spiritual things are truly the substantial things, and they can pass through physical things because the physical things are insubstantial? I guess really, if you know anything about atoms and molecules and stuff, which I don't, yeah. but I know that most of it is just empty air, <laughs> right? Right, right. So, right. I love that possibility that he was just the most substantial creature that had ever, or human that had ever existed, and as he touched. The insubstantial, it became real. It's the velveteen rabbit kind of thing, you know, that like yes. we're becoming more real. You know, there's this story I heard when Pope Benedict or Pope Francis came to America. There was this story of some mainline Protestant who hadn't gone to church much, 
But she said, I knew if he looked at me in the crowd, she had this guilt from something she had done. She's like, I knew it would be lifted. And she went and he gazed right at her. And she said, I felt a weight lift. Wow. And, and I wonder if that's like what it was like, you know, some sort of, you know, with Jesus, like people just knew. Cause you wonder, it's interesting. How do they know to call him master? They're not disciples. They haven't mm. been and they're lepers. They've been in a distance. Is it rabbi? They, I don't know what yeah, the I word mean, is that they're using there. Yeah, it's uh oh master. I mean, it's not rabona. It's not teacher. It's huh. you know master. Interesting. It's interesting, right? Maybe that's so just what you say to a generic person like, "Hey, sir, yeah, spare a dime." I don't know, but that's interesting. But it, but it's interesting. They see in him a chance to yeah be human again, to be reintegrated into into the community body and soul. It's a it's a beautiful yeah. it's a beautiful hope. And I guess if you're just in a place on the outskirts of community and in a place of desperation like them you'll you'll just you're not too proud to just try anything or just cry out to a guy yeah. i mean i'm assuming they knew something of him to say that but um although have pity on us is kind of generic but um yeah i i think of this all the time when i see homeless people standing on the side of the road with a sign that they've taken the time to write and it's a it's a declaration it's a confession of need. Yeah. And they have to put their story out there for us as we're driving past. And it doesn't feel like an equal transaction because I'm just zooming past in this big metal box and I don't have to say, I need something to, you know. Yeah. But I'm not as aware of it because I'm in the big metal box and I've had a meal for today. And, um, but it's like until we say we're an outsider, we can't be welcomed in. I mean, like we had to the degree that we pretend we're insiders, mm. it's sort of like, the the way it's like we're trying to be the insider, and yet in a strange way it pushes us away from the source of. Oh, life. I love and yet that. We, yeah, and yet when we admit that we're outsiders, that's how we're brought in. Right. Yeah, I think of this every week when we say the confession every Sunday, um, because it can feel a little bit like groveling. Like before we can take communion, we have to say, "I'm just a worthless worm," you know. But I think until we confess how we've been confident in our own way and carrying things on in our own strength, then we can't, like God hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> Every week we have to say, "Oh, I've strayed away again. I've forgotten you again. I've been distracted by my own things and trying to do the, figure this out by myself." And oh, once more, I have to say. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you know, we, we've sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we've done and what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole hearts. We've not loved, not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. And God, meanwhile, has already set the table. You know, I love that image. That, yeah. Like, we're begging. Will you please receive me back? And he's just like, all right, you don't, okay. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, he's like trying to like yeah. right here. The table's set already. Like your place is already here. I guess we need to do that more than he needs us to grovel. We need to be so aware of our need. But Mandy, thanks for doing this, and I pray that uh, in your congregation and congregations of our listeners that you know are in that, that people know their need and and meet the one who is the healer Amen. and the one who makes us whole. Thanks, Amen. Mandy. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it 
on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Mandy for coming on the podcast. And thanks to you again for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.